Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces podcast, episode 382. Thank you for tuning in, guys. This is one of the ones I'm most excited about because it really came about in a beautiful manner. Today's guest is Simone Sun. And we talk about this in the podcast, but how this came about was I did a tweet on on Trans Visibility Day um, that I felt was supportive of Trans Visibility Day. That was the intention of it. Anyway, I've got several trans friends. I'm a big supporter of the trans community, trans rights, and all that kind of stuff. So I did a tweet I thought was supporting of it, and... It was slightly unresearched and it was slightly, it was kind of damaging in ways I didn't realise. Now, this all seems vague, but we talk about it in the podcast. And what happened was some people tweeted me and and, and flagged the issues I'd overlooked and they sent some articles and I learned from him. So I removed the tweet and that's how social media should work. (laughs) <laughs> um, yeah, I, one of the articles that I was sent was an article by Simone Sun, who's a neuroscientist, and it was all about sex and partly about gender and the science behind it all. And it blew me away. So I reached out to Simone immediately and asked if she would be up for coming on the podcast to have a, ch- a chat about it all. And that happened within like a week of this whole interaction and moment. And we had one of the most enlightening conversations I've ever had. I said this years ago when I had my pal Jordan Gray on, who's re- who's returning soon on the specials I'm doing next month. But Jordan is 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 trans, and she kind of <laughs> just really was so warm and open in educating me on any of my ignorance or confusion or my my the things I thought were quite clever or supportive. And she said, "No, you're being a Wally. You're seeing this from a very." white male perspective so um it was lovely to kind of revisit that area and re-educate myself educate myself further obviously we should be constantly educating ourselves and improving ourselves that's one of the exciting things about being a human is that we can continue to evolve and improve and that actually comes up in this conversation the continual evolution of the human um so yeah I hope you enjoy it. I'll tell you all now, actually, starting next month, I haven't announced this properly, starting next month, I'm doing a whole month of podcasts about mental health. I will be talking to people about how the pandemic has affected their mental health and how they're feeling as we come out the other end. Essentially, I'll be asking, where's your head at? That's what I'm calling them. I'm calling them, where's your head at? So each episode will have three or four or maybe five people on just having a quick discussion about it. And these people include... Stephen Graham, Florence Pugh, Lena Hedy, Jamali Maddox, Paparese Ayadu, Jordan Stevens, Jordan Gray, as mentioned. Loads of really good people. Amy Ballman, Stuart Whiffin, Chris Glasson, my mum. Just loads of good people. And a few surprises in there. Gal Porter, uh, Fern Cotton. Just loads of really good people. Have I said Simon Pegg? I said Stephen Graham, didn't I? Basically, loads of really good people. Um, a few surprises and these have been some amazing conversations i had t- 10 days of quarantine when i returned from canada and i decided to try and use it in a positive way so i recorded all of these conversations it's more than 20 i was recording on some days i was recording s- seven a day and it was kind of exhausting <laughs> on my own mental health but i think it's really they're really positive conversations and they're for everyone who's out there that's kind of 
coming out of this having not really discussed it with many people because we've been in isolation. So we're going to talk about everything. And there's light bits and there's heavy bits. It's, it, I'm so pleased with them. So that's all starting next week. There's going to be, I think it's going to be six episodes overall because what I want to do is have an episode a week as usual. But um, the s- second week of May is Mental Health Awareness Ma- a Week. So I wanted to do, I'm thinking I'll do a Monday, Tuesday, a Monday, Wednesday and Friday episodes there to really give you loads to listen to and loads of just outside experiences, you know, outside of your own, some that you'll relate to, some that you won't have thought of and stuff like that. So yeah, that's the idea there. There's loads of good people. There's people I've not mentioned and you're in for a treat. So anyway, I wanted to tell you about that. Obviously, as ever, you can head to speechdevelopmentrecords.com to buy any of my music, to buy my DVDs, to support the podcast in general. We've got wonderful merch. As ever, we have the We May Not Be For You and That's Fine sunglasses that always go out of stock. Every time the sun comes out, they go out of stock. They're currently in stock. So swoop while you can. But so are, you know, swimwear, jumpers. I mean, it's Britain. So this, the summer could be a mixture of sunglasses, sweaters, and swimsuits so yeah but we've got t-shirts vests everything over there head to speechdevelopmentrecords.com and uh enjoy the goodness there i'll stop rambling and let you enjoy this amazing conversation this is episode 382 with simone sun Uh, same. All right. Perfect. I'm joined today by Simone's son. How are you? Good. How's it going? Good. Good. Thank you for having me on today. I'm excited to chat with you. But before we get into it, how's 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 everything going in your world? How's you're in? Are you in New York? Yeah, I'm in. Uh, I'm in Brooklyn. Um, and I work in. Yep. A, uh, I work in a lab. So, um, you know, uh, things have been a little bit different in the past year. Uh, <laughs> yeah. As we can all imagine. But, you know, we've all adapted and, you know, hopefully things are on the up and up. So, you know, <laughs> fingers crossed. How's it been? Because my kind of knowledge, because for years I did, did music and when we'd play in, in New York, we'd often go and play in, in, in Brooklyn. My experience, this is a real unique and, and, and direct thing of people that are in my circle, is there's been a real mix amongst what, the public may describe as hipsters mm. in that some have been the most conscientious and some have been the most, I don't know, it's a con- an almost a reverse wokeness on the pandemic of, of <laughs> yeah. really feeling it's all a scam. Yeah. And it's all, and it's, it's been really weird that both of those things have existed in the same kind of community. And Brooklyn has a lot of that kind of like a Williamsburg, sorry, as well as all, all that way. And as well. So how's that been in your kind of area? Have people been accepting it? <laughs> my coworkers at least have been because you know the lab is in a hospital complex so it's like you know this is very much a real yeah. thing for all of us yeah but i think new york has generally been all right you know some people begrudgingly wear masks i guess yeah. while they when they go on the subway and stuff but you know <laughs> as at least they have the mask somewhat on their face i don't know <laughs> something is better than nothing like I, right <laughs> again it's that it's it's that level of participation is is this point into it is as much as we can ask for exactly. I think at times yeah well I want to kind of explain how this podcast 
came about. Because mm-hmm. um, I was sent your article in Scientific American, and it, I loved it. It blew me away. But the reason it came about was I did a tweet on tr- Trans Visibility Day, mm-hmm. and it was intended to be <laughs> supporting um, – I've got numerous trans friends, and I'd read an article – that was basically saying how ludicrous and limited the 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 man-made idea of gender is. Mm-hmm. And uh, what it did was break down that rather than there simply being XX and XY, there's, there's many different. And I posted about that. And I said in it, obviously, this is sex rather than g- g- gender, mm-hmm. but it shows how empty and pointless it is. But what I hadn't really looked into enough was the variations of combinations – of, of of these things can be illnesses or disabilities and all sorts of different things and to weaponize that in in in, in another argument was hugely insensitive mm-hmm. and i i hadn't twigged that i thought i'd done this research and i'd found this amazing thing but i'm not a researcher and i think we can all get caught up in this in social media sometimes right. but a few people corrected me but they linked to people that i didn't i wasn't sure about mm-hmm. and then someone else linked after that because, again, the articles that they had linked to said that gender is different from sex and sex is definitely binary, but gender is up for debate. And someone else came in saying, look, the people you've been linked to with the greatest respect have been involved in many areas that have agendas. Mm-hmm. Like, n- Not to completely discredit these individuals, but, yeah, yeah, the, they said maybe t- t- take it with a pinch of salt. And they linked me to your article, which just blew me away, which was – it's called Stop Using Phony Science to t- to justify transphobia, actual research shows that sex is anything but binary. It's from 2019, and it was so thorough but easy to read and easy to take in and and friendly. Like it, it, it didn't feel like it was going. Here you go, idiots. Here's <laughs> here's the truth. It was like going, guys, look. Here's the research I found. So, I basically I found you on Twitter and asked you to come on and kind of go through the article as such. But before we get to that. I want to just know a bit about you because what I've, I've read online sounds fascinating. So where are you f- from originally and what was your route into – because you're a neuroscientist, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, I was born in Nor- uh, Virginia, grew up there, mm-hmm. and basically spent my entire life living in Virginia until I moved to New York. Um, I was born to a really conservative Catholic household. I was going to say Virginia is is quite. It's not exactly known as a, a melting pot of of different things, right? I would say, like back back then when I was growing up, it was a little bit more, uh, let's say, spicier. I think it was considered a Republican stronghold, but not anymore. But right. you know, like my environment was very sort of like the typical, you know, very conservative. You know, you fit into these gender binaries. You do what you do, and like there's no deviation from the norm. Um, and so, like that kind of um, really shaped the way that I experienced um, my gender. Uh, and so there's actually a link, I would say, between my interest in science and you sort of that experience that I had because, you know, when you grow up and you have this feeling or this inkling, these thoughts that um, just, you know, keep coming back that sort of are, you know, something just doesn't work, something isn't right or correct. And, you know, it's a combination of things like um, my article says, you know, there's many different layers that you can um, use and many different lenses you can use to approach the topic of gender and sex. But that, you know, I didn't have 
answers for any of these kinds of questions or, a, or like a framework to really put them in. Um, and so like when I was exposed to science, this was like kind of a thing that's like, oh, like, you know, there are ways that we can try and answer some of these questions. You know, there are certain aspects that we can study, break down, create models about how, you know, our natural world works. And, you know, it's just something that I gravitated toward and, you know, ended up choosing neuroscience because I think, you know, the brain is a pretty cool thing and we know very little about it, even though we know it does a lot of important stuff, right? <laughs> yeah, I love that. So often the story of a route to science is a curiosity with the external. But yeah. I love that this is kind of more a curiosity with the internal, that you didn't understand some things that were going on inside you right. or, or and, and wanted to kind of find out more and, and understand it and find the science behind it. Yeah. So it was like, you know, it's kind of like um, really wanting to have that kind of dialogue, right? Like to, uh, you know, because I, I feel like part of my experience of uh, gender has been like the sort of incongruence to how people have viewed me and people have you know, interact with me based on the gender norms that we have. And that, you know, those those didn't line up with, you know, how I felt I wanted to be seen. And so, you know, science allows us to have this kind of dialogue between what we experience and what we see in, you know, things like experiments or data and that kind of thing, and uh, reconcile it with our own internal uh, notions of like what that thing is. I, like, I think it, this is part of the reason why it makes this conversation so difficult to have sometimes is because, like, this is why I wrote the article, like, when people use science as this sort of, like, objective truth to, you know, like, like you said, like, weaponize it for, you know, unjust policies uh, against trans people, that, you know, you really lose what the process of science really is. Um, you know, it's a constantly evolving, constantly changing, like we're always reframing the ways that we think about, you know, phenomenon that we observe. And so with when it comes to like things like sex, sex and gender get all muddled up together in the way that we're having this conversation yeah. right now. And so I thought it was really important to write an article, at least exposing people to you know, just how complicated sex itself is, regardless yeah. of gender, like just looking at, you know, how how the embryo goes from, you know, a, a single ball of cell to, you know, a full blown human being and all of the steps in between. And that like that process, especially when it comes to sex, is very, very complicated and not this very clean cut yeah. binary that we like to live by. You're like, you know, the binary might be useful most of the time, but it doesn't help when you get locked into that kind of framework thinking about that thing, you know? Completely. And it's, 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 it's age-old familiarities that make people comfortable with it and uncomfortable mm -hmm. with, with learning new things. And one of the things I was, I was reading about recently was the amount of different cultures and countries that have had more than two genders for centuries, have, have kind of always had multiple genders in law, in, 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 in community and in all sorts of things. So r reading that made me kind of go, oh man, it is, it's so easy to say that this is an old antiquated thing. This doesn't, there's, there's, there's so much more to it. I think the reason the argument of, well, gender is fluid, but sex is very much scientifically mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> binary is easier. Is it, it's kind of eases people in because they're scared of what they've they've all, that they've grown up with, and I need to also highlight the person who sent me your article and the people who, who corrected me online in general were completely polite and friendly about it, and I think that's so important 
and and can often be lost in the modern the social media world but so important in educating people and equally it's important to be okay with being educated yeah if you know what yeah. i mean like i i i, I reveled in it i was d- d- delighted i was like at first i kind of tried to say no what i was saying was this and i see what you're saying but what i meant was this and then i kind of went nope there's enough enough points now to say i'm 100% <laughs> just wrong so i removed the post and retweeted other stuff instead so i think it's important on on both sides of that people will often argue the important part is in correcting people is being polite but i think it's equally as important to be able to accept it because yeah. if you're defensive people can be as polite as they as they want but you won't take it you'll still take it you'll read a tone into it that isn't there and all sorts of other stuff so yeah i think that's so important in these important conversations that are happening at the moment that we're all open to these things and realizing that again that the point of science certainly at a, at a time was to acknowledge how little we know and how little we're certain of and to continue to find things and that should be something that again i think that's changed in science a lot or is certainly in the use of science but it should be something that's more in our normal everyday society an acknowledgement of how little we know and how right. much we need to to, to to learn i think one of my favorite metaphors for this that i've encountered um i forget exactly who said it um it's like one of those famous science communicators out there that as your sphere of knowledge grows the surface area between uh what you know and what you don't know so like the boundary of knowledge also grows so it's kind of like this way that yeah. like you know as you do learn more because you know there's always something more to learn that you start encounter like really encountering what it is that you don't know like yeah. when when yeah. when we really look at the world and if we're trying to you know do the experiments and create a model of so like for like sex since that's what we're talking about that you know if we have this very simple model it doesn't take into account all of these unknowns and all of these uh phenomena that do happen like one argument i hear so often is that intersex people uh not to use intersex people here as an example but like but rather to describe like what how people tend to think about this that like because because intersex people exist at such a quote you know like low percentile that it's you know not worth considering or that yeah. it like or but that we can like, ignore that part we of the can data. exactly like oh we can just ignore it because there's not that many of them and it's like well they're people they're pe- they you know they are just like uh, anyone else um you know like living beings and so you know, there's a space for that, you know, like science isn't about like, oh, averaging everything together and then just taking the average, right? It's about explaining why we get these interesting distributions of characteristics. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Well, well and again, I think you, you use a phrase there, which is, is, is really good for, for describing all of this, um, is when you look at the world. Because again, if you go all the way back, and I'm from England, there was a point where the most intelligent people in England only knew of England. Yeah. And they knew yeah. everything about England. And then at some point, I, my history is awful, but let's say, <laughs> for example, at some point they went across and found f- France. That's a great new bit of information. Right. But they've also found out that, look, we don't know about Germany, Holland, and all of this other stuff that's out there. So this little bit of of, of discovery shows how ignorant you are rather than, right. than, than exactly. knowledgeable. Yeah. I mean, can we move on to the article then? Because I'm, yes, I'm going to sure. put a link to the article in the 
in this, but I think it's great because I think having the link is a great tool mm-hmm. to send to your confused uncle or that workmate who's arguing it inaccurately. I think yeah. it's really handy to have that because, again, I find even after I've read things, I'll start getting it wrong or not getting the, fr- the phrasing right. But I thought it's good to go over it here. And it's in four sections. And the first one is biological sex, mm-hmm. how you get it. And you started to touch upon that earlier. So can we, we go into that more, yeah, the sure. kind of the way it comes together in an embryo and then all of the potential variations and changes because I kind of thought before reading this that at some point you become either a boy or a girl yeah right. <laughs> and, and then I read it's like no it's it's far more fluid than that even at that point right so you know we have this classic notion that it's the chromosome your chromosomal makeup that determines your sex so that you know if you yeah. get xx um you're female if you're xy you get male and there, it's easy to say like that's the end of the story but of course, like there is so much more to it. And in fact, if we actually look at why the Y chromosome, no pun intended, <laughs> why the Y chromosome <laughs> is very important and key for male sex differentiation is actually because of one specific gene on it called the SRY right. gene, right? The, and so, you know, this gene is necessary to start this whole cascade of signals that uh, the, the embryo uh, starts engaging in and order to start moving toward one direction or the other. So I think one, uh, a good way to sort of think about this process is that the, the classic dogma of biology is that like, you know, DNA leads to protein leads to your phenotype, right? Like how you look, but it's mm-hmm. more this, like you start out as this sort of clump of cells that doesn't have a sex, you know, you have XY or you have XX. And at some point the SRY gene turns on and it, starts this whole process it communicates with another gene called SOX9 and then that that one does this sort of like positive feedback loop where it's like oh I'm going to make more of myself and that's going to signal to other genes to turn on and repress other ones so that the embryo slowly moves toward you know the um, typical male phenotype and it's this fascinating process because you know it, it puts more life into the DNA you know it's not just like computer code yeah. that you read out. It's a dynamic thing where, you know, SRY is a code for a protein that gets made. And then that protein interacts with DNA itself to make different proteins. You know, this is like an aspect that doesn't really get taught a lot about like sort of in bio- any kind of biology class of, you know, that, you know, genes aren't just these switches or these programs or this code of uh, DNA sequences. There's a lot more to it where, you know, proteins need to like bind onto the DNA in order for that gene to be important or turned on. And like, you know, SRY is one of them. And that makes sense as well, because it makes it, it instantly pulls away from it being simply this XY equal, equal balance. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of different balances going on there as as, as more proteins made and what links on and what doesn't. It, it kind of, yeah, it explains that it isn't as simple as here's this, yeah, X and X or X and Y. It's like, no, there's specific small c- c- collaborations yeah, yeah, of sorts exactly. going on within that. That's sort of why I u- like to use the um, idea of a symphony as a metaphor to yeah. talk about like this kind of process where like when you listen to a symphony different sections of the orchestra come in at different times, right? Or like even any, in any kind of song, you know, like you have different instruments that come in at different times or lyrics at different times. And it's kind of the same when it comes to these kinds of like gene expression uh, development processes where, you know, it's kind of like starting like SOI is kind of like the first chord that gets hit. And then 
other sections start coming in and they start doing their thing. And, you know, SRY isn't just on all the time. You know, it's actually just this brief spark of a moment. And it's, um, right. you know, it's not like, right, like, you know, you can't just like hammer it in because that thing turned on that, you know, now it's a now it's a boy. Right. But that like, oh, you know, we're starting the process. We're getting a move along, um, you know, and uh, yeah. it's just like really it's it, people typically forget about time as like this very important aspect of like how you end up being the the sex that you have, you know, like like you said earlier yeah. about how like, you know, oh, it's just the it's just the Y chromosome and then that's it. Yeah. It's it's not. It's just this constant, you know, like symphony of genes talking to each other um, and to keep, you know, like the gametes in one way or the other, you know. <laughs> Again, I think that's fascinating. That it's the starting point, but then all of the variations after that. We're yeah. talking or we're recording this on the day that um, the legend DMX has passed away. Mm, yeah. And almost every DMX song starts with a bark, but can go in a million different directions. Right. You know, <laughs> and, and I think that works here. It's like, that's the start point. You know, it's a DMX song then. Like, you know, right. it's a human as such then. But, you know, the direction it can, can go in after that can be a really brutally heartfelt confession about his paranoia he suffered his whole life. Mm. Or it can be a song about him and his boys and their motorbikes. Or sadly, it can kind of be about the mistreatment of dogs. It can go in any direction. That's kind right. of yeah. That 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 seems to to fit nicely there. Yeah, that's yeah. I really like that. Yeah. So, so what's the process after that then? That right. You cover in the in in that section. So you, you get all of these things that get turned on during development when the embryo is developing, but you also get these other genes that are important after. Um, you're born like so during adulthood when you know you have the gametes or you know the sperm and the egg cells and the ovaries and the testicles that there are genes that need to be expressed and turned on to maintain that kind of differentiation like that separation and if those genes are turned off for whatever reason then you know the the tissue starts to change because it's a different signal now and at the same time, you're getting this really complex um, interaction between the hormones and your environment, you know, that like environmental factors can influence the way that, you know, how genes get can be expressed. I'm not saying that specifically that like there's an environmental cue that can like, you know, stop DMRT or like FOXL2 and all of a sudden you'll just switch to the other sex, but rather that like it's important to think about how this is a process that's still going on, you know, that there are aspects yeah. of biological sex that are not these just uh, stagnant things, you know, like any living system, it just, it, there's something that keeps going and it's still a part, you know, and that, and that, that can change, that can change over time, whether or not it's the decision of the individual or, you know, something happens to the individual that like, but to kind of get this back to like why this is important for things like, you know, trans issues is that like, it allows us for us to think about the dynamism of a concept like sex, you know? Yeah. Again, that's the bit that I found so fascinating was the fact that it's an ongoing process. Because again, even often when people have the best w w will in the world, mm -hmm. the question mm -hmm. they will ask, well, what were you born as? Right. You know, what were you male or female when you were born? It's like, well, in reality, I was born naked. 
Right. But look how good I dress now, you know, and look how much I express in these different things. And there's so many things that it's not relevant what the starting point is if it's an ongoing development. And again, if we just think of our personalities, there was points in my teens that are so cringeworthy to me now, <laughs> but that's because I've grown and developed as a person. Yeah. And it's fascinating to hear that the, the body is doing that as well. It's not just in the mind. Mm-hmm. I mean... The next section is the brain, w- w- where things are made up. So that kind of, it comes on on, on re- re- relevant there. But it's crazy that we think things are so binary and that here's, what, here's one thing that never changes our whole life, yet everything else right. changes. Like, I'm way hairier now than I ever <laughs> hoped to be. Right, you, didn't, you, you weren't born with the beard. <laughs> yeah, I, I like having a big beard, but I don't like having to trim my ears and my fucking nose and stuff like that. But that's stuff that's biologically continuing to change in me. So why would anything else be this, oh, no, it happened then, and it was written down on a bit of paper, (laughs) therefore it's real, it was written down, so that's it, it can't change. So, yeah, and let's move on to the brain, Mm -hmm. I guess, if that's where we're kind of at now. So in the brain section, I touch on how if we use the model of brain sex, right, like if we extend this sort of binary idea from the XX and XY chromosome and then apply it to the brain, you know, that people will start pointing to things like, you know, the different structures or the different sizes or different characteristics of different brain areas, you know, on average between male and females and sort of say that like, look, this is, this is the man brain and this is the woman brain. But, you know, if you actually teach a computer algorithm what the average male brain is based on what we know and the average female brain is, it actually doesn't do a very good job of differentiating just any kind of random sample, like which one that person, you know, quote unquote is like, if that's, um, um, uh, you know, assigned male at birth person, um, or is that an assigned male at birth person who's now transitioned to a different gender? Um, So like getting back to the specific aspects of like the brain, there are areas that are sexually dimorphic. Like, I mean, this is what sex is. You get different versions of, you know, similar things. And so neuroscience has at least been able to figure out what areas are different. But just because we have discovered that they are different and that they are different on average doesn't actually give us that much more information unless we utilize that information. So the, the, the example I like to use, or used in the article, is the uh, sexually dimorphic uh, nucleus of the preoptic area, um, the very long name right. of that thing. Um, it's an area yes. that, you know, shows a lot of variation across species and across people, but that, like, if you look on average, you know, that area is different based on what kind of person you are, right? Like, I'm not saying it's causal, right? right? I'm not saying that, like, because you're, you know, because you're, gay and that your your sdnpoa is going to be a certain way like that's it's just you know the the directionality is a little bit off there i mean the casual abbreviation there was beautiful (laughs) to to, to not have to keep saying the long version oh yeah of course throwing it in (laughs) i love that but yeah that's fascinating again that there are these similarities and it's it's one of the things where the brain and and neuroscience in general is so fascinating is that there's so much that even can be discovered but still not understood mm-hmm. if, if 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 that makes sense patterns can be found 
details can be found, but it's still so unclear on what they mean or what the the cause is. Um, as someone who's had a, a stammer since I was a kid, mm-hmm. again, it's so not understood. Like no, yep, no exactly. one can really get their head around <laughs> why it happens. And equally, I've I've had friends who've got all sorts of different brain issues, and they're in and out of research and treatment for years on end because the the scientists can't kind of go oh we've had a look like we've opened you up and had a look (laughs) here's what the problem is is even even when they've identified what the issue is finding the solution or the cause or the the correlation between the reactions is so far away so it's it's such a fascinating area to to look into and again it, it equally highlights how ignorant it is to take anything concrete from it and say, here's what the man brain is, here's what the woman right. brain is, and so on and so forth. It's like, but there's so, so so little we know. I get I get caught up at times in bro science. Um, I, I've been a fan <laughs> of Joe Rogan's podcast yeah. for years. I've got a lot of questions. I think I, I, I'm also a hater a lot of the time now. But <laughs> I think when it comes to Joe Rogan, the the haters are as b- b- as blinded as the fanboys. I think there's always interesting stuff, but it's again, it's not a, it's it. I think it's hard to be unbiased now. Um, but one of the things he, he'd talk about a lot with uh, drugs and and hallucinogenics. Again, I I in my youth I was a big fan of of hallucinogenics, mm-hmm. um, and I'd read Timothy Leary and uh, and numerous other people who would talk about how what were actually doing is reverting our brains back to how they were a thousand years ago or a hundred years ago and things like that. The more I've looked into it now, the more I see that that's just complete l- loose theory. Right. Um, and maybe a romanticizing of, of, of the, of the, the naturalness of, of, of tripping balls, essentially <laughs> you know, tr- trying to make it more of a, a spiritual thing where right. really you're just getting off your, off your face. So, but yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating to, to, to see this ever evolving area and obviously that's the area that you're you're in the middle of and, and dedicating your 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 life to as such yeah so there's um it's cool that you bring up uh like hallucinogenics and these other drugs because w- these drugs are actually very useful in helping us understand the yeah. brain you know it, just because it's not a quote natural state of the brain understanding what exactly changes when a person is on a halluc- like there have been numerous like LSD studies that have come out recently. And, you know, the understanding that we get about, you know, how the different, the, which specific areas change their activity patterns or broadly, if you're looking at the whole brain, how that is different. Um, you at different levels, you're going to come to different conclusions if that's the only piece of information that you have. Um, so for example, yeah. I specifically study neuroplasticity, which is the ability for neurons to, you know, change their connection weights. So like how strongly they connect to other neurons, you know, they can, they can, they can change the strength of those connections based on, you know, the activity levels. Um, And so there is a way for, you know, a drug to perhaps act on these neurons in very specific ways that lead to these broad changes that we see. And, it's so easy just to say, okay, well, if you're, you know, you know, if you're tripping balls now, um, you know, your brain is just firing in this like different pattern, like, sure, that's going on. But like, what's, what does it actually mean for the way the brain functions, you know? Yeah. So. It's fascinating. It's such hard areas to, 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 to test 
are they, are they right? I, I do another podcast, or I'm part of another podcast called S- S- Say Why to Drugs with mm-hmm. Dr. S- Susie Gage, and she's her studies are in in, in recreational drugs and on that podcast every episode is dedicated to a different drug and the reason i'm there is because in my youth recreationally i've done most of the drugs so i can give a genuine and i I don't do any now i happen to not do any now uh, through choice but i can give that angle and she can give obviously the science scientific angle but hearing things like mdma being used in therapy made perfect sense to me because when I was on MDMA, I'd open up to strangers about the deepest things in my life that I wouldn't open up to anyone else. So these things are fascinating. But the thing I know from Susie's work is that it's so so hard to do accurate testing on these things because we've all lived a life up to this point. Right. So to test it on one person, well, it's like, well, what was your, your life and what's your experience with any drug? And that can, again, there could be people listening thinking, I don't do drugs. It's like, but that includes... coffee and alcohol and cigarettes (laughs) and all these other things that have affected you to a certain point. So it's really hard to give clean, accurate testing on what the effects are of this drug because you're getting the brains so so far far along the road already. Right. If that makes sense. It's been affected by so many things already. It's not a clean test as such. And like, like how we were talking earlier about how, you know, there's, it's always, biology is always this dynamic process, right? That, you know, through your life experience, your brain gets shaped in a particular way or your body gets shaped in a particular way. There are, of course, limits to it, but there's something always going on. And, you know, that can lead to somehow result in like a predisposition for some kind of mental illness or that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating. <laughs> well, I mean, the next part of, of the article is the body and the brain and the hormones betwixt. We've talked about the body, we've talked about the brain, and you touched upon earlier the kind of the the thing, the ever-evolving element of, of hormones and when they can trigger or be tr- triggered to a higher extent and to a lower extent. So if you could talk about that a little bit. That'd yeah. Be- so, you know, everyone knows what hormones are, I hope. Um, <laughs> you know, we all yep. went through puberty. Some of us go through it twice. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but that, uh, so hormones sort of are like this very unique part of the body that lets uh, sort of the body communicate with the brain in certain ways. So like the reason I picked, uh, picked you know, uh, to this area of hormones influencing the brain and vice versa is because, you know, like, again, this whole discussion about how things are these dynamic processes that, you know, get started or get, you know, like put along a certain path. You know, it's known that, you know, estrogen will turn on a whole set of like different kinds of genes when the person or the animal or the individual um, gets a surge of estrogen. So there's this interesting aspect where, you know, there's a possibility for what hormone levels are currently in the body to communicate something that, you know, two days or three days down the road um, isn't there anymore. Um, you know, there are all these fluctuations in hormone levels and how those all come together to influence behavior. It's it's not really well understood. So, like, we can't just say that, like, if you have a certain level of estrogen, you're going to be a woman. Um, in fact, you know, yeah. some of the model organisms that we use to study and understand these things, estrogen actually masculinizes the animal. Um, right. So 
to to sort of just use these simplistic um, aspects, um, and, and especially in this kind of like heated debate and topic about you know civil rights for transgender people, that the the simplicity betrays the the reality, uh, and that you know people get hurt because of it. Like that's and I don't know. I personally think that's not good. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I I completely agree, and I think what you touched upon earlier about the desire to ignore certain areas because they're minimal or whatever else. I think the thing that gets me here is there's a desire to ignore the, the science because in ways it's complex mm-hmm. and in ways it's it's confusing, but there's a willingness to accept the fictions of this boogeyman who's going to dr- 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 dress up as a woman to, to go into yeah. women's toilets and abuse people. It's, like, it's fiction. That is the biggest fiction of them all. It's these these straw man arguments that that if trans people aren't allowed or if trans people are allowed to use the 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 toilet of their now gender their their chosen gender as such that there's going to be these wily criminals who are going to put on a or do a bad Mrs Doubtfire impression and go and and abuse people it's so ludicrous and it's it happens across all areas as scaremongering it happens with with benefits there's there's the 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 media or those who wish to push their agenda will m- make up this huge threat of benefit frauds of people who are going to scam the system. Therefore, it's probably safer to not help anyone because we don't want these evil b- benefit frauds. But when you actually go into the, the the facts of it, the actual impact and amount of benefit fraud is minimal. But the amount of people, particularly in times like this, who need benefits and are d- d- either dying or having huge you know detriment to their mental health is far greater than the fear of a benefit fraud and it's a similar thing that the safety and protection of trans people is far more real world actual situations clearly needed than this fictional threat of this person who's gonna as said sneak in use any trans rights as their way to to get people and I mean the sad reality I always give is I'm a six foot four man I've gone past women's toilets numerous times and no one's there if I want to go in I could go in and that's fucking terrifying I wouldn't have to I wouldn't think oh the only way I'm going to get in is to pretend I've changed my gender or so on and so forth it's ludicrous so sadly the threat of the scary male you know in many ways is real but the threat of the scary male who's going to put on a wig and high heels to to carry out their dastardly deeds is right. frankly ludicrous. And so, I I think yeah. you're touching on um, a part like the a very keen point about how you know these narratives are created to sort of instill some kind of um, feeling or perspective on things like policy. And so like that's what I'm trying to like sort of get at is that when you say things like when you use the 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 like you said the romance or the romantic story of the ease of estrogen being a female hormone and testosterone being the male hormone or the man hormone um that like these narratives are not you know that simple but the consequences for using a narrative like that are so damaging and hurt a lot of people and you know affect their lives in like very significant ways and to sort of like get back to the science as to like what also brings us to this idea of how really you you've got this you know that the hormones allow for this 
possibility that the environment that you are in over a long period of time can change your interior biology through the the action of hormones. Um, and it's not this always this intrinsic process in which, you know, like if you are a woman, then you will have estrogen. And then if you have estrogen, your cells are going to do a particular thing. You know, they even change, like, like I said in the article, it even changes with like what kind of like what kind of situation you're in. Like if you start behaving in a certain way that's like coded as like one gender or the other, that can change your internal hormone levels. Or that like, you know, there is that fascinating study showing that just the content of what you're fantasizing about um, sexually, there's some kind of correlation to what happens to the hormones at the same time. And, you know, that these these kinds of like simple narratives, simple narratives are just not, useful for really understanding how these things happen. I feel like I just keep saying that, but <laughs> No, no, it's amazing. And and that was one of the bits that blew my mind the most because I had always thought it was as simple as, well, testosterone is the is is the macho guy one and <laughs> is the is is the feminine one. And again as as an MMA fan, there've been some amazingly powerful women in MMA that I've instantly thought, oh, they must be on steroids or something, because because it's it's just you don't see that from a woman. And reading all this, it's like, well, that's just ignorant. There are these 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 variations and these yeah, uh, uh, changes. Well, I mean, the final part is science and society better together. And again, I think that's a perfect way, an important way to. To, to wrap the article up because, and again, I want to say to people, if any of this is sounding confusing or going over your head, g- g- go and read the article because often these things are almost easier when they're yeah, just right. on the page and, 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 and written down. Hopefully from what I can tell, it's all sounding quite clear, but it's worth going and reading as well. But you know, the reason this article in scientific American came to me was because of social media, of society, of digital society as such. And, but also the reason it came to me is because of my jumping on a small, small bit of science and using it as a meme, essentially, which is equally damaging and equally, you know, I've I've discussed this a lot with activists, um, particularly in the last year or two. I did a a episode talking to two, two different uh, doctors about the, fund the police and we discussed how it's tough because defund the police it doesn't really describe the intricacy of that process but equally you need something that's short and almost memeable to get the message out to the wider amount of people but i think what we forget is that's meant to be the introduction right right you're meant to then go and do more research on it and read up and read the the full article rather than just read the headline i guess is the yeah. simple is the simple comparison there so yeah, like how do you see this science and society um, informing each other? Yeah, so I think this is kind of like the theme we've been discussing about like the oversimplified narratives that we use uh, given certain situations and that science is a form of storytelling in a lot of ways. Um, one thing that I've come to learn quite a bit having been in science for you know like over a decade now, I guess, um, is that these objects these genes, these people, these phenomena aren't just just singular objects in empty space, you know, like they they have interactions with each other. 
And like, that's where the science comes in is understanding how one thing interacts with another. And that requires a kind of narrative. But at the same time, you know, the narrative in making something simple or um, simpler to understand ends up, you know, like leaving out a lot of different um, aspects. And I think that's sort of like the biggest theme underlying this kind of this, you know, the the transgendered converse, like the conversation about trans trans people um, and how they fit in our society is that when we use these oversimplified narratives, one, you're doing the science a disservice, and two, you're doing trans people a disservice. I think one of the things that's jumped out out to me as well, I had um, a trans singer who's now a a comedian, Jordan Gray, on long ago, and quite quickly in our conversation, she she had to kind of say, look, Pip, it's lovely that you want to learn, but please understand that I can only talk for me. Like we don't have a meeting and 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 discuss all of the all 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 of the new acceptable terms or whatever. Else. All I can speak of is for me, and it instantly hit me because I get again I get asked all the time things about about my stammer, and it's only since I've become a patron of of the British Stammering Association in mm-hmm. recent years that I've started to understand it at all. I I had it for at least thirty six years, and I was like. I've no idea, mate. I can I can tell you what what my lived experience is, but I'm not an expert on it, and that's the 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 beauty of it. I think there's there's also this weird expectation that every trans person is going to have all the answers and have an agreed upon here's the terms and conditions yeah. of, 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 of of interacting <laughs> with my people. Yeah, and, and it's not as simple as that. People have different limits and different sensitivities because of the things they've experienced in their lives and and how their journey was and how hard their journey was or how easy their journey was, how welcomed it was, how fought against it was. There's so many different things that are going to make people have different views and reactions to these things. So it's, it's realising that us cis white people can't have a simple answer. It's, it's going to be, as, as you've explained sexes, it's going to be a continually evolving right. thing. It's not a binary. There's not a binary answer to the discussion of of, of gender and and sex. Yeah, you know one one of the reasons I wrote this article too is that you know I started getting really tired of people just using like oh well you know the biology of sex is just x x and x y you know like well how I learned it in sixth yeah. grade and it's like um, no it's not that simple. Yeah. Here we go again. <laughs> yeah. Well, why would you want to end your learning at sixth grade? Right, yeah. That's pretty basic. That's a basic level. We could all come on a little further than that and and learn more. Yeah, and it's like one of those things where, like, these narratives also can, like, you know, they stop the, like, you know, it feels like there's just an end to it, right? Um, Yeah. And instead of really thinking about it in this way that we're always building a better, better world or a better, better scientific model of sex, you know, that integrates all everything we know from, you know, the different ways that the genes interact to how, you know, the brain can exhibit differences that are influenced by, you know, the hormone expression in the body, which will then depend on how the body can interact and the brain can interact with the environment. So like there's this, there's always something there to talk about. And, you know, to sort of like bring it back, it's, it's that, when we get into these complicated areas, you know, we, there's always that tendency to really want the simple answer. And I think that we need to really come to terms with how complicated sex is, right? And then that 
is yeah. also just another state. And that's not even getting to gender. We're like, we're not even talking about how like, you know, the, the way people express gender in different kinds of cultures overlaps with yeah. sex, right? Like, you know, and part of the problem is that like, we've always wanted this simple narrative. And so like doctors just for under the gender slash sex box would just, you know, based on what the child looked like and what parts the child has when it comes out of the mom, whether or not they're going to spend the rest of their life as a woman or a man. And yeah, it's again, that idea that like, oh, it happened at this very specific time at the beginning and it's all, all done for, you know, we don't need to worry about that anymore. But like you said, like lived yeah. experiences are always this constant thing. And, you know, the science of sex is very similar to that. I, I, I love that. And I, I mean, I wish we could do another hour on gender, but um, <laughs> what we've, well. we've covered here generally <laughs> is sex. But I'd, I'd encourage people to just simply like Google gender representation in different societies or something like that. Because when I was looking, it was so fascinating to see that this isn't simply an, an, a modern Western thing. This is this is something that has been varied throughout. Our restrictions are a, tr a traditional thing, rather than you know it's been there's been variation and in different interpretations. Um, I'm talking soon with Emma Dubiri, and one of the things I was blown away by her book, what what white people can do next or now, was learning that race was invented by the british mm -hmm. and again it's a similar thing with gender G gender right. was at some point invented as an idea and it's so ingrained that and again i won't go into the race thing there but it's amazing it's literally a fact that it was invented kind of for racism essentially but we'll go into that in another podcast um i just wanted to say that like there's also like you know a similar scientific story underlying that right that like there's yeah. this there's there's this societal concept of race and that if we try to apply that to the genes we uh, that a person might have, we start that we see that narrative sort of get deconstructed, and it starts to fall apart. Yeah. Where you know you can't just point at how somebody looks like um, and what like how they look like and expect to find that encoded in the DNA. You know, there's that well-known yeah. fact that the amount of variation between what we call uh, different races is actually less so than variation within a race. Yeah. Wow. And so, you know, it makes you question like, well, how, how quote unquote real is this concept of race and how useful yeah. is it to apply this concept to our scientific exploration? You know? Yeah. It's fascinating. Well, I mean, to wrap things up, I want to just ask a little bit about you, you, your art and music, because again, you use both to kind of, to bring these subjects in as, as well. Cause again, it's going to be, it's, it's what, it's what you study. It's what's quite literally in your head all the time. Yeah. So, so how's that been? Kind of using art and 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 music to to further these conversations and further the the creativity, I guess. Yeah. So, um, I've been working on a music album that like takes my data that I get into lab and you know uh, and use it as like raw material. And I the reason I'm doing this is that I want this album to kind of be this expression of the scientific method of like this process that we call science and that it's not this easy um you know step one step two step three you know make a hypothesis then test it but rather this this constant dialogue right and i you yeah. know 
I wanted to sort of use something else to exemplify that kind of dialogue. So in this example, I'm using, um, you know, I'm using music. So I will take my data, then I like, and it, it sort of, po- it points at this kind of thing that we've already, like, we've already been discussing about how, you know, these frameworks, these notions that we have about how the world works are influencing the way we approach whatever it is that we're doing. So like in the case of science, it's like, you know, data doesn't exist in this vacuum. It gets like we use it, we create it and we find it, but that's all within the society that we live in. And it's the same way with music. And so like in a more concrete way though, it's sort of like I, I have this data and then I put it into a musical scale. Right. And it, it does two things, right. It, it can simplify things, but it also provides us a way with understanding you know, perhaps something that's going on in the data. So there's this like fun, funny thing where the songs that I use that are the songs that use data, they don't have any written melody to them. But because of how we think and how we experience music, we start putting melodies in there that don't actually exist, you know? And so it kind of makes you think about when you're doing the same thing with trying to understand a natural phenomenon, like how much of that is me forcing a narrative onto what I'm finding in the data, which, you know, in a lot of cases is what has happened in the research of, you know, of art, of researching sex. Yeah, I love that. I, I, I love the coming together of, of science and the arts. Um, I know a lot of people will hear that the first time and think it's some frivolous n- n- nonsense, but I really don't think it is. Like, I love the story of when a Christopher Nolan took a load of, of, of data when he was making Interstellar mm. and wanted to be as accurate on his his representation of a black hole. And because of the techniques and the computer power and all that that Hollywood uses for their effects, they created stuff that the scientists who gave the data then took back and were like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Like, we've never been able to project it in this way and to create this this version. And they actually got something scientific back from it. So it's... It's beautiful, the, the changing of ways of looking at things. As I said, the melodies that you will impose upon it right. <laughs> um, that aren't there could could in some way help understand or make things flow. It'll make you see it in a different way and so on and so forth. So, um, I mean, it, it, and speaking of of the arts versus science, I'll end by saying that um, I've been distracted at points because you've got all sorts of equations on the oh. blackboard <laughs> behind you. And one of the only one I've zoned in on is an R then with a little AP purely because it's rap. So all oh. I've seen is, ra- is r- r- rap on that board. I'm sure, I'm oh, sure it sorry. means uh, 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 something else. But yeah. again, it shows the, 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 the different ways artists will look at science and completely misunderstand it. But thank you very much for your time. Where can people keep up to date with with all of your all of your your projects yeah so um i'm on twitter uh my handle is uh simone i think it's simone d sun uh there's a d in there because i guess you know there are so many other ones out there um and my website uh simonesun.com i you know i post the stuff that i am working on uh that's recently been published whether or not it's like science or music and um i'm planning to release my album sometime later this year um and so if you keep up with me you'll you'll know when it drops i love it well thank you very much for your time and thank you for being so so open to coming on i said i love that we 
we literally came into contact under a week ago, I think it yeah. was, or, or just over a week. And now we've we've got to have this conversation. So I love that that's how the world can work. I've got a lot of negative views of social media, but every now and then it can be it can be handy and make positive things. So thank you very much for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me on. You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. How was that? I hope you all enjoyed that. I loved having that conversation. I found it such an education. Please spread the word on this one. You know that when it's not a huge Hollywood name, the listenership obviously reflects that. But word of mouth is how the Distraction Pieces podcast came became one of the biggest podcasts in the UK so it's your word of mouth and you're shouting about these things that can can get them in the right ears and I genuinely think this podcast and the article and the accompanying article just save a link somewhere man you know because I think they're really handy for educating that I'm a big fan of this um although I might come across as quite articulate there's also times i'm very tongue-tied obviously i've got a stutter but i mean aside from that so i find having tools that i can send to people and say look to that kind of that uncle or grandparent or or friend of the family or whatever else or workmate who doesn't really get the whole trans thing (laughs) um and this is a really nice way to kind of educate them because, as you will have heard from Simone, none of it's attacking or aggressive. It's just saying, look, here's what's going on. You might not know all of it. You might not understand all of it. Let me explain. Let me sit down and have a little chat. And I think that's a really positive thing in this ever-evolving world. Um, speaking of ever-evolving world, as I said, I'll be back next week to start my month of Where's Your Head At episodes a month of mental health discussion and unity as such on the Distraction Pieces podcast. Um, I'll see you then. Until then, stay safe and stay sane. Ta-ta.